We're continuing this morning in the life of Joseph. I've entitled this message, The Life of Joseph, Promotion from Prison. A huge injustice had been committed. Joseph had been falsely accused of an improper advance towards Potiphar's wife, and he ends up in jail. History had repeated itself. His brothers had imprisoned him in a pit, and now he was languishing forgotten in a jail. Although incarcerated, the scripture tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And the keeper of the jail gave young Joseph responsibility over other prisoners, putting him in charge of the jail. See, through this injustice, God was working his purposes out for Joseph, for his family, and also for the nation of Egypt. You and I rarely see the bigger picture when a a personal injustice is done against us. But Joseph, through all of this, as we'll see, remains faithful to God. The king, that was Pharaoh, was offended by two of his personal staff, a cupbearer and a baker. These two men had important positions. They were the food and wine taster for the, for the king to make sure he wouldn't be poisoned. They were specifically employed to safeguard the king from any assassination attempt. But these two men offended the king in some way and ended up in the same prison as Joseph. Joseph, as a young man, was a gifted uh, leader. He was a gifted organizer. He was an administrator. He was able, even in prison, to keep things running smoothly. Prison life, though, would have been very, very monotonous and would have carried on day in and day out, the same routine. Until one night, the cupbearer and the baker had dreams which troubled them. Now, people in Eastern culture of the day expected to have dreams and expected to understand them. The Egyptians had wise men and sages of the day that had dream manuals to help interpret people's dreams. These two had significant dreams and they were pretty desperate to know what they meant. They believed that the gods, the gods of the Nile, wanted to communicate with them and to bring them understanding to their dreams. But Joseph steps forwards and interprets these dreams. The cupbearer and baker both had what I would call destiny-type dreams that night. Uh, And on the king's birthday, three days later, they were fulfilled. The important thing here is that Joseph acknowledges who interprets dreams. Joseph doesn't interpret the dreams. He doesn't claim that at all. He said interpretation belongs to God. Interpretation doesn't belong to the wise men and magicians of Egypt. Anyway, we're going to read a bit of the story now from uh, Genesis 41 and verses 1 to 8. And they should come up on the screen there with us. Genesis 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. I don't particularly think of cows as ugly or attractive. I think they're a bit neutral myself, but... And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. 
And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. After this, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, and Joseph is summoned to Pharaoh. This was unusual because Pharaoh himself considered himself divine, and he would normally only consult his own wise men and magicians. So Joseph smartens himself up, he has a shave, and suddenly life has changed for him. But Joseph again takes no credit for interpreting the dreams. He says, it's not me, it is God who interprets dreams. These two dreams are one. They both have the same interpretation. To have two dreams in quick succession adds weight and significance to the dreams. And the land of Egypt, the, uh, the interpretation of the dreams is the land of Egypt would experience seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Egypt depended upon the river Nile flooding every year to water and fertilize the land. Unlike the UK, when we normally have lots of rain, they didn't, and they depended on the river flooding. The so-called river gods would ensure this favor upon the nation. That's what the Egyptians believed. The dream was warning Pharaoh to prepare. The favorable times of the Nile flooding would stop and famine would be severe and would not only affect Egypt. So Joseph outlines a bit of a rescue plan to store grain in the cities around the country in the good years to ensure that they could survive during the drought and the famine. This was, in effect, a tax on the harvest in the good years, which they then ended up buying back in the famine. So actually, Joseph was a pretty shrewd operator here, wasn't he? Pharaoh goes with the plan, and it's a success, and many people's lives are saved. That's the outline of the story that we're looking at this morning. Let's read a little bit further down in that chapter, 41 and verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? I want us to look this morning and see why Pharaoh described Joseph as a man in whom the spirit of God lived. It was not just his ability to listen to God and interpret dreams. There is more. The first thing that I see here is that Joseph was a man of integrity. Things had not started well in his life. The young Joseph was the favorite of his father in a dysfunctional family. He seemed proud and arrogant, but over the years he matured through good times and bad. He fled sexual temptation. Nothing dishonest was ever pinned on him, and he displayed amazing leadership skills in prison. Because of this, Joseph was promoted by Pharaoh. He's given the position something like that of a prime minister. 
He, was fair, he wore Pharaoh's signet ring, a symbol of authority. He could do business in Pharaoh's name. He could seal official documents. He was clothed in fine linen instead of a prison uniform and had a chain of office around his neck which showed his rank and status. He even had a chariot which would have been a limousine of the day and he could ride in style and he was given a wife. You know, his brothers stripped him of his coat of many colours. His brothers stripped him of his robe. Potiphar's wife stripped him of his robe. The king now gives him the robe of rulership. For a non-Egyptian to hold such a position was quite remarkable, but it was really God who promoted him. It was not Pharaoh. In a time appointed by God, a time of huge national significance in Egypt, Joseph enters into high office at the age of 30, a changed man from his teenage years, now mature, a man of integrity. He was able to lead himself, which meant he could lead others and ultimately a nation. Let's just think about that for a moment. Joseph knew how to lead himself well. We too are called to live lives of honesty and integrity. Leadership gifting starts with leading our own lives well, conducting ourselves in a godly manner, leading our families well, being good mothers and fathers, being great grandparents, serving faithfully in whatever responsibility God has given us in society as well as in the church, rolling up our sleeves and getting on with the job. This is how Joseph lived. When we live lives of integrity, leading ourselves well, disciplining ourselves, correcting ourselves, being fair with others, apologizing when we mess up, remaining faithful, then we're living as God intends us to live. So he's a man of integrity. The second thing is he's a man who is faithful in dark places. In the dark place of prison, Joseph had learned the hard lessons of patience, of faithfulness, and I believe intimacy with God. In prison, he must have felt abandoned by his family, his employer, even his fellow prisoners, as well as God. He had the call of God on his life from those teenage years. Dreams of leadership he had, didn't he? How long before they became reality? He was languishing in a filthy prison. Many, you know, who have been raised for God's purposes have, had, have undergone long periods of waiting or preparation. He was in the pit in his teenage years, wasn't he? And he was in the pit in his 20s. Do you know what PIT stands for? This is not mine, I've nicked this, all right, I'll I'll be honest. PIT stands for Profits in Training. I like that, Profits in Training. So often God trains us in advance in challenging circumstances. We often don't recognize this at the time. Why is this so? Because it brings out the gold of faithfulness in our lives. It brings out patience. And if we can learn intimacy with God in those 
pitch-type situations. We learn huge secrets in life. Abraham and Sarah had to wait till old age till the promised Isaac came. Moses spent 40 years in the desert looking after sheep. That was his training for leadership. I suppose if you can lead sheep, you can lead a nation. David lived many years under the threat from Saul, yet he honored the king and kept his heart right before God and Saul. Esther spent many months in preparation for one audience with the king, one sentence with the king, which changed a nation's history. So often, you know, God prepares us over long periods of time. Let me just read to you James and chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Joseph could have behaved very differently in these circumstances. You imagine being in prison for years. What would the state of his heart be like? We're not told what he experienced in prison, but I'm sure that he must have felt abandoned and rejected. He must have felt like a victim. He probably felt shamed. Joseph could very well have despised his circumstances. He could have despised having to look after prisoners. He could have despised Potiphar's wife, despised his family, despised the wasted years, despised the cupbearer and the baker. Listen to what Proverbs 14 verse 21 says. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. When you despise another person, you're feeding inside you a sense of superiority over that person. It's so easy, isn't it, to look down on others, those who are different to us in some way, comparing ourselves with others, which makes us feel good for a while. Despising others is sin, it is wrong. And Proverbs tells us that you are blessed when you are kind to the poor, those who have less than you do. Joseph did not despise his circumstances or those around him. He was faithful in the dark place and he's now promoted to high office and becomes a source of great blessing to Egypt. If you are in a hard place, a dark place, an uncomfortable place today. Remain faithful. Live a holy life. Keep your heart right and pure. Don't despise others in this season of your life. Live with an undivided heart for Jesus. Find that place of intimacy. These are real treasures to learn in our Christian life. Joseph completed his training for reigning. You see, Jesus was trained in the prison so that he could reign in the nation. The third thing that I see in Joseph's life is that he's a man gifted with the Spirit of God. Joseph was certainly discerning and wise in his ability to convey the meaning of those spiritual dreams that we've looked at. 
He understood the will of God in the affairs of this country and had risen to be a wise leader. Joseph is discerning the times and seasons and he's given a strategy by God through through, uh, Pharaoh's dream. Even in prison, you know, there was room for his gift of interpreting dreams to grow. Listen, this is another principle here. This is important. There is always room for your gift to grow, whatever that gift, whether a spiritual gift or a practical gift. When we are willing to use our gift, to give our gift to others, God will always make room for your gift to grow. Let's think a little bit about dreams because we've seen a few dreams here. In our skeptical and materialistic society, dreams are viewed as mere glimpses into our subconscious activity of our minds. Of course, not all dreams are from God. I'm sure you've had a few that are not. But there are three basic sources of dreams. They can be from our heart, our own heart. They can be from the devil, or they can be from the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom. Our brains are an amazing filing system. They sort things out that we've learnt and seen and sensed and smelt. All of our experiences, good and bad. So our dreams are sometimes a reliving of those memories. At times they are a decluttering of our minds or getting rid of unnecessary files, if you like. This is why our dreams are often a bit crazy and don't make sense. You agree with me there? So there are three sources of dreams. Let's just quickly look at these. Firstly, dreams from the devil are not hard to discern. They leave us in fear and confusion and have the sense of death about them. We simply rebuke them and ignore them. The Holy Spirit can warn us in a dream, certainly, but he will always bring life and hope and peace with that. Secondly, dreams uh, from our own heart. These are often about things that are concerning us at the time or full of our own desires, maybe something that you've just been talking about before you've been going to sleep, something you need to sort out, something you need to forgive or apologize to. These dreams are understandable to us, and often God can use these dreams. These are not particularly spiritual dreams. I had quite a dramatic dream uh, once in, in my flat in London. I'd had a plumbing problem for quite a few months and the company that supplied the pump couldn't sort it out my plumber couldn't sort it out a friend couldn't sort it out and it had been going on for months and it was really annoying and one night I had a dream and I woke up with what I thought was an answer and I told my friend and he said yes that will work now that was a dream if you like God helping me in a dream um, but it wasn't particularly a spiritual dream So thirdly, there are dreams from God. These are interpreted by revelation. Dreams from God do not happen that often, I would suggest, or they haven't often happened to me, Uh, but the characteristic is that God will bring revelation when we inquire of them. Understanding comes from the Holy Spirit, not from human analysis. Dreams from God are not interpreted through a book, or learnt in a seminar or workshop. These may be helpful. Joseph interpreted these dreams because he knew the source of the dreams and inquired of God what they meant. He said very clearly on a number of occasions that it was God who interprets dreams.
If we have concerns about our dreams, Genesis 41 verse 32 helps us. Joseph said, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that it is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So you see here that a dream truly from God will be repeated, not necessarily that night, but it will be confirmed in some way by the Holy Spirit and you will not miss its meaning. It has been firmly decided, it says here, and God will fulfill it. If we're inquiring of God, asking God about our dreams, we will understand them and they will be fulfilled in God's time. As disciples of Jesus, I believe that we should pay attention to our dreams as the Holy Spirit does on occasion want to speak to us in the night hours. There are many examples in the Bible of people having dreams and visions. Solomon, Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joseph, the husband of Mary. In the book of Acts, there's numbers of people that have had dreams. Agabus has a vision. Peter had a dream-like trance. And it goes on. So let's not discount our dreams. Lastly, the story of Joseph points us to Jesus, as Tom was reminding us last week. Jesus, who brings us out of a pit which sin has ensnared us in, brings us out of prisons that incarcerates us into fruitful lives. We are forgiven, healed, transformed, promoted, released, free to reign in life. So we see shadows of Jesus in the life of Joseph. Joseph was despised and rejected by his brothers. Jesus, too, was despised and rejected by men. Joseph was given wisdom and favor with the prisoners and with Pharaoh. Jesus grew in wisdom with favor of men, women, and children. Joseph was given no trial and imprisoned. Jesus was given an unjust trial and imprisoned. Joseph was stripped of his robes. Jesus, too, was stripped of his garments. Joseph spent time in darkness and separation of a prison cell. Jesus suffered the darkness and separation from the Father on the cross. Joseph was imprisoned in a pit and eventually released. Jesus was imprisoned in a tomb and gloriously raised to life. Joseph was promoted to a position second to the Pharaoh's throne. Joseph was used to save a nation. Why was Joseph a man in whom the Spirit of God lived? Because he was a man of integrity, who was faithful in the dark places, and who inquired of God, and was filled with the Spirit of wisdom from God. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.